Well, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus 18. Exodus 18, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Exodus. And we're seeing God's deliverance of his people Israel. And it's from, we've seen this from the bondage in Egypt and his provision and protection. And, and they, he's on the way. He's taken them basically to the promised land. The nation has come to Rephidim. God has provided water from the rock and has defeated the enemy and the Amalekites and all these different things. Last time we saw something special. Moses' father-in-law and his wife and his two sons came to meet him. He's not seen them in about a year. So what happens? Well, we saw last time at the end of our study that Moses sat down to judge the people. And tonight as we look at this, we see that Jethro told Moses, it said, told Moses it was not good what he was doing. Well, what's going on? What do you mean it's not good he's doing? Moses is, is doing the work of God. Moses is, is judging the people. Moses is telling the people what's right and what's wrong and what to do. Well, this evening we're going to see Jethro's advice to Moses, and as the key is delegation in this passage, we're going to get, really get a good look at how the body is to carry out ministry. And I think two things to think about as we look through this. Number one, how not to be burned out in ministry. Of course, for some, let me just be honest, some aren't in ministry, so they're not burned out, right? Okay? But I'm talking about those who are involved in ministry. How not to get burned out in ministry, and then how more will be able to serve or how more will serve in the body. There's two things we can see as we look in our passage. Let's start with prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you again for the privilege we have as believers to be able to come together. Thanks for the great songs and opportunity to lift up our voices in praise. We thank you for the Bible, and we look at the book of Exodus. Lord, that you have given us your revelation. We know the things written in the Old Testament were written for our instruction. So, Lord, we just ask you to take the truths and principles, the things that we see in the passage, and teach. And, Lord, help us to understand it so that we can uh, make application and then even pass those on to other people as well. Teach us, Lord, the truths that we need to know. Most of all, Lord, thank you again for Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Most of you know I always wanted to be a coach. And I, I got to, uh, I got to be, when I was in high school, right as I was about to graduate, uh, one of the greatest High school coaches in Mississippi came to my high school. In fact, his last four years of high school, he went undefeated. And my high school was ranked fourth in the nation, sort of like a jinx. You know how jinx is always ranked up there and they win everything? Or or Union, Meridian, Mississippi, Meridian High School was always that way. And Coach Tyler later became the head coach at Mississippi State, and that's one reason I ended up coaching at Mississippi State, because when he became the head coach, he hired me. So that's good for me. Uh, I remember thinking about watching him and at Meridian, we had like 180 kids out for our football back in those days. You could have all you wanted. And I remember thinking, okay, now Coach Tyler knows offense, he knows defense, he knows kicking games, he knows everything. How's he going to do all this? I mean, how, how does it work? And, and, he, and I realized that what, what he wanted on defense, he, he got a defensive coach and said, that's what you do. And what did he want on offense? He got an offensive coach, what he wanted on the kicking game and those kind of things. And I saw him delegate and organize and put things together. I remember talking to him one time, and he said, well, as a head coach, you can't be everywhere at one time on the field. You've got to have people you trust, people you delegate the responsibility to do. Coach Kyler showed me dedication. And, and delegation, because he, he was amazing. And he showed me giving responsibility to others, and I watched him handle players and coaches. And what I saw was delegation in action. And those were, when I was just a kid, I was 16, 17 years old, and I still never forget the things that he taught. And the principle is important. And see, one or two believers, the principle is important, whether it's football or, or, or ministry, one or two believers cannot do all the ministry. We're in the body. Each one is given gifts, talents, and abilities. We are to all have our parts in the ministry, 
of the body. And so this evening, as we look at this passage, Jethro gives advice to Moses about ministry. We may not think of it in that way, but Moses was doing ministry as he is representing God to the people. And Jethro says, it's not, it doesn't work that way. It can't work when it's just you. And we'll talk about ministry and delegation as we go through this. As we begin, let's remember where we are. The nation has come from Egypt. They're now almost, basically, they're really right at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. They're at what's called the Mountain of God. That's where they are. Uh, they, we see they go deeper and deeper into the wilderness. Two million people. How are they going to make it? We've seen that God's provided for them. First of all, they came to Marah, which means bitter water, and he made the water good. And then they complained about not having food, not having meat or bread. And so he gave them meat in the evening, which was birds and, birds and bread in the morning, which was the manna. And then a third, and they came to Rephidim, and he gave them water out of the rock because they didn't have any water. So he struck the rock, and water came out. And then they were attacked by this this group called Amalek, we call them the Amalekites, but Amalek, and God gave the victory. So over and over, God takes care of his people. Over and over, he provides and protects. And this is exactly what he does for us. Same thing he did in the, in the book of Exodus for the nation of Israel. He does it for us. He delivers us from the bondage of sin. By faith in Jesus Christ, we're saved and saved forever. And, and then, day after day, he provides and protects. It's just amazing. Now, they've stopped at this place. They're going to be there about a year. I mean, it seems a little funny, but they're going to be there about a year. And while they're here, Moses has visitors. His father-in-law, Jethro, comes to Moses with Moses' wife and his two sons. Now, we saw this last week, and we said it's something doesn't look right. Moses has not seen his family in a good while. And you remember when they, when they left, Moses left and his wife and his two sons, and they were going to Egypt to let the people go. But something happened, and there was almost an argument. And best we can tell, Moses sent his wife and his two sons back, and he went by himself. Aaron came to meet him. They went on, and they did the plagues, everything, all of the stuff, and now they've come back. And so this is the first time he's seen his wife and kids in a good while. And we noticed something, that in the passage, when they met, it says, Jethro's father-in-law came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where they camped. He sent word to, to, to you know, basically he sent word. If you look at verses 5 and 6, it said, he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. And it was just amazing. To, it says this in verse 7. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down, and he kissed him, and they asked each other their welfare, and they went to the tent. What about his wife and kids? They didn't even mention them. Now, maybe, maybe they all hugged and kissed and everything was so wonderful. And the only thing that he wants to talk about is, and the only thing that Moses wrote in this was Moses met his father-in-law Jethro. But it does seem a little strange. You remember when Joseph and his father were separated, when Jacob got to Egypt, it said that he and Joseph hugged for a long time. It doesn't say anything about Moses hugging his wife or even his kids. We don't know. Don't know what's going on. It just seems a little strange. We saw that after Moses told Jethro everything that God had done, uh, Jethro's response was to offer sacrifices. Look at verse 12. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law before God. There were two things that he did. He offered a burnt offering, which was a picture of total dedication. He offered sacrifices, which were fellowship. Best we can tell, maybe those other sacrifices, what they ate, and they all came together and ate. And so we see him responding to God. I'm sorry, go back. We see him responding to God 
with a total dedication of a burnt offering and then sacrifices and fellowship. We actually think about the same thing for us. How do we respond for what God has done to us? And the next slide shows us that we can, we can offer a total dedication as well. Romans 12, when we offer our lives as living sacrifices, that's giving ourselves to God in that same way and saying we want our lives to count. And then the whole idea of fellowship, fellowship with God and others, that's what we do as well. And now, it's powerful because we say, you know, Jethro is a pretty smart guy. He's called a priest. Priest. In fact, it describes him this way. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law. So he's a priest. And he appears to be a priest of the true God, not a priest. Because, well, you know, you don't really know a whole lot about it. When Moses got there and found his father-in-law and took care of his sheep and married his daughter, we don't know a whole lot about it. We don't know a lot. And now they're back again, and it seems that Moses' father-in-law, who's called a priest of Midian, believes in the true God of Israel, offers the sacrifices. Everything looks good. And now we see a great passage. We see how God gives us information about ministry. Notice verse 13. It came about the next day that Moses sat down to judge the people. And the people stood, stood about Moses from morning till evening. Now you can see this, that Moses it opens up shop, so to speak. It's time. He gets there. He sits down. And he says, who's next? Who's first? And the people line up. They all line up because they got issues. They got problems. They don't know what to do. Maybe it's a problem with a neighbor. Maybe it's a problem with what they've been doing. Who knows what it is? But they've lined up and they want to go see Moses. Moses says, what's your problem? And he, they said, here's what this and this and this and this. And Moses says, well, from God, this is what you're to do. And then they leave and the next person goes, well, it's all day long. It's not 15, 20 minutes. It's not an hour. Notice it says, it came out the next day that Moses said to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. It's all day long. How would you like to stand in line all day? Listen, you don't want to stand in line, right? Do any of us want to stand in any kind of lines? You know, you think about it. When uh, uh, you're in, you get there and, and you say, boy, I should have got up earlier. You know, when I'm standing there and, and, you know, we're going, half the day is wasted as we're waiting to see Moses because we got an issue to deal with. And you know what some people did? They said, I, I, I can't worry about it. I can't stand in line all day. And some people said, my legs are hurting, you know. I've stood in line all day. Notice verse 14. Now, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning till evening? Now Jethro saw what was going on and he said, basically, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this in this way? Jethro saw a problem. And sometimes in ministry, we're so close to the problem, we don't see the problem. We say things like, well, we've always done it this way. I mean, this is the way we do it. This is what we get. Yeah, really? Yeah. Well, if you notice that may, there could be a better way, have you thought about that? No, we hadn't really thought about it because this is the way we always do things. You know, and you know about change in local bodies when, when you start changing music or you start changing things. Listen, you guys, many of you don't remember this, but this room had pews. And as the church began to grow, we knew that we needed to be able to use this room for more than sitting down in pews. And so we talked about taking out the pews and putting in chairs so we could move them in and out. And some people said, I, I don't know, we've always had pews. <laughs> 
Well, in this room, yes, you have. You've always had pews in this room. But you notice there are not any pews here now, and they can take every one of these chairs out. This can be a big room. When we were building the big auditorium, 2002, we began, the, the original plan was never to put anything in there but chairs. Some people came and said, uh, we're going to build a really nice auditorium. We're going to build a real nice place for service, and you're not going to have pews? And we said, no. What are you going to do in there? <laughs> we said, well, we're going to have, take chairs and take them out because every Sunday night we're going to have a wana in there. And a person said, you're not going to let children run in that room. We said, oh, yeah, we're going to let them eat in there, too. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to let people take coffee in there because that's just a room. It's just a room, and it's for us to use. Sometimes we're so close to the issue, we don't see the issue. We've always done it this way. Well, Moses' father-in-law said, why do you do this? What's the thing you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and judge the people? And they stand about you from morning Till evening. Why are you doing this? Well, look at his answer. Verse 15. Moses said to his father-in-law, Well, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. People come to me to ask about God. They ask about issues. They don't know what to do. And since I'm the leader, since I was the one raised up by God, I'm the one that's talked to God at the burning bush. I'm the one that God talks to now. I'm the one that, that went to Pharaoh and, and Aaron was with me and everything. And I'm the one that's sort of the leader. And when we come out of here, you always come and gripe into me whenever there's an issue. And God talks to me. So I'm the one that's going to have to make these kind of decisions. Obviously, I'm the one in, in, in the lead here. That's what Moses is saying. He says, well, people always come and they ask me. And God, you know, I talk to God. Now, here's a couple of things to think about. He said, I make known the statutes of God and his laws. What laws? Is there any Mosaic law yet? They ain't got up on that mountain yet and got the top ten, right? They go up and get the top ten? And they already break the top ten before they can even, he can even get down. So they come up with like 613, you know. You know, if you, you better keep the top ten or else he's going to add a whole bunch to it. And that's what he did. And what laws are there? What statutes are they? Look, notice he says the statutes of God and his laws. It may be that as God has dealt with Moses and taught with Moses, God is telling Moses what the people do. What they should do. And so he says that this this is this is what I'm supposed to do. Now we can see a problem because all of the leadership and all of the ministry has fallen on Moses. He's the man. Now you might say, well, what about old Aaron? Aaron Aaron's pretty sharp. Yeah, Aaron's his older brother. But how old is Moses? At least what? At least eighty. How old's Aaron? He's eighty three. You know, I mean, I don't know what Aaron's going to be able to do a lot. Except he's going to be the first high priest. And so they're saying, well, what are we, you know, how are we going to do this ministry? Realize that in the body, nobody can do the ministry by themselves. Nobody. We always talk about when I first came to Countryside, and there were like 11 people, and then there were 25, and then they got to be 50, and then they got to be 150, and all the way up to about 400 we still only had me. And some people come to me and they say, how in the world could you be the pastor of a church with 400 to 500 people and you were the only one? And I said, it's because I didn't do the ministry. I did some of the ministry, but 
the people in the church did the ministry, always have. If you look on the back of our bulletin, it says distinctives. I can't read it with these glasses on. I can't read with my glasses on. It says our distinctives are expository teaching, the grace message of salvation, and believers do the work of the ministry. That's our distinctives. You ever looked at that? Because we believe that ministry is done by the people. It's the body. So that's how it gets done. Well, sometimes you got to realize no one person can do ministry by themselves. It takes the body of Christ because we all got spiritual gifts. Moses, the leader, he's trying to take care of all the ministry. Watch what happens. Look at verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. Look what he says. The thing you're doing is not good. Now, Moses could stop and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I mean, you're a good man and you're a priest of Midian and all of this kind of thing. But I know what I'm doing is good because I'm doing the work of God. I'm telling people the word of God. How could this not be good? Well, let me show you something. It was not what he was doing, but how he was doing it. He was trying to do all of the ministry by himself. And if you'd asked Moses and said, are you trying to do all the ministry by yourself? He'd have said, well, what do you mean I'm not trying to do it all by myself? I mean, what else is there? How does it work? Jethro's about to give a key to all ministry. You know what happens when a person tries to do ministry by themselves? What happens? They burn out. They burn out. Every ministry in this church is headed up by different people. And what those people who are heading up ministries are supposed to be doing is continuing training other people under them to be able to do those ministries. That's what's supposed to be happening. Doesn't always happen that way. That's what's supposed to be happening. Notice what Jethro says. You'll surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. He says you're going to wear yourself and the people out. Why? Because the people are doing what all day long? They're standing there all day long. They're in line all day long. They're, they're saying, we never get the problem solved. Because by the time we get up there, we already forgot what the problem was. I mean, we never get anything done. He says, you will wear out yourself because it's too much. The people are going to be frustrated and you'll wear out yourself and the people. You will surely wear out both, wear out both yourself and the people with you for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. That's true in every ministry and in everything. There is no such thing as a self-made person. Every one, every one of us have people that invest in us, help us, work with us, uh, equip us, train us. No matter what we think we can do, we look back in our lives and it's just full of the people who were there to help us all along the way. And our job and responsibility as we are serving God is to be equipping and training other people to do ministry as well. Anytime we don't delegate, we're going to be worn out. The burden gets bigger and bigger. You begin to get frustrated. The people are frustrated. You're frustrated. Sometimes in ministry, do we, do we do a good thing in a wrong way? God has given every believer's gifts, talents, and abilities to serve and carry out the ministry. Well, watch what happens. Jethro's going to give some instructions. He says, now listen to me. I'll give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative for God, and you bring the disputes to God. 
Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and to work they are to do. He says, now listen, let me give you some counsel. Notice Moses accepts his counsel. Listen, Moses doesn't say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. I like you, but you, I don't know if you know who you're talking to. I mean, I've talked to God face to face. I've been the leader in this whole thing. I'm the one that confronted Pharaoh. I'm the one that raised the thing up in part of the Red Sea. I've walked on all this stuff. I've, I've threw the wood in the water. I've, I hit the rock. Listen, I don't know if you know who, I'm ta- who you're talking to, but that's not how Moses responds at all. Moses did not say, I'm the one in charge. I make all decisions. I can do it better. I've always done it this way. That's not what Moses said. Jethro said, listen to me, I'm going to give you some counsel. You be the people's representative before God. You teach them the statutes and laws and make known the way it should be. See, when you, when you get to verse 20, he basically says, you got to do what? you got to teach and train them. you got to teach them the truth. you got to tell these people what's right so they'll know and they can pass this thing on. But that's the bottom line. By the way, that's the plan of ministry that God has given to us. What did he say? You need to make disciples. How do you make disciples? See, you don't do it yourself. You make disciples. What do you do? You equip believers to do ministry. You teach others so they can teach others. That's the plan. The whole idea is you take the gifts, talents, abilities you've got, you invest them in other people who will be able to do it as well. It's never just one person. It's never one person who's the key. In a local body, we all work together. Notice what he says. Furthermore, you should select out of of all the people able men. Who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. You shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. He says, what you've got to do is find quality people. And since he's talking about men in leadership here, he says, you've got to find some quality men. You've got to find some men of character. Men, listen what kind of men they are. He says that they are men of truth. They are men who fear God. They are men who hate dishonest gain. They're, they're, they're not thieves. That you can put them over positions of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Quality men. People in leadership. And that's what happens in a local body. The men in our church that have been raised up as elders and deacons, they are quality, godly men. That you have recognized as time has gone by that God has raised these men up to take places of leadership. And that's what it's supposed to be. And so he says, pick out good men, men of integrity. And when it says able men, he says, you should elect out of the people able men. The word able men means men of strength. Men of strength. People of integrity. I love John Wooten. What did he say? Basketball coach at UCLA for all those years, died recently. Great man. He said, be more concerned with character than reputation. Why? Because character is what you are. Reputation is what others think you are. You know, we the world is full of celebrities, which means absolutely nothing. When Kim Kardashian or whatever their names are, I don't even know their names, the Kardashian, they're celebrities, right? Are they people of character? I mean, I don't know. I don't know all of them, but I, I know some of the stuff that I see. I mean, there are a lot of famous people, but that reputation is not the key. Character is the key. Character is the key. 
He goes on to say, Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. They've got to help you do ministry. The big things come to Moses because he's the man. He goes directly to God. He puts it all together. But these other people, Moses has taught them, and so all the smaller cases come to them. They never get to Moses. It's like in the ministry of the church. Sometimes somebody may come to me and they say, um, I found this song. I think it would be a great song for Sunday morning. I say, I don't handle that. Stephen handles that. You don't have to bring it to me. Bring it to him. I don't do that. Somebody says, did you know the front door's messed up? I said, yeah, I, I don't know much about that, but call Brian. He'll, he'll oversee the, the building. We'll make sure it gets okay. Because there comes to a point, and he says to Moses, you judge the big things. You've trained them to do the other things. Because ministry is, they will bear, I love this, they will bear the burden with you. If we're running to and fro, trying to do everything, being fr- we're going to be frustrated, we're going to frustrate others. We may appear important and busy, but you know, being important and busy doesn't mean anything. Especially if ministry isn't working. Moses, look at his response. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he said. Good night. I think Moses is an incredibly great man. Because here he is, the leader of Israel, and his father-in-law comes to him. And you know, it's always it's not always easy to talk to your father-in-law, is it? I guess maybe it's easier talking to your father-in-law than your mother-in-law. Right? And he listens to his father-in-law, and he does what he says. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times, the difficult disputes they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. He put these people in leadership and ministry positions. He trained them. Now remember, he would train them because Moses' father-in-law said, you, you teach them. You tell them what's right. You don't, you don't put anybody in a position to do without being trained. That's just something you've got to remember. You can't just say, you handle that without training them at all. They will always fail. You have to train them. Put them in a position. We'd, we could talk more about that in some other ways. But let, let me, as, as we, because look at, look at the very end. Moses bade his, uh, bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went his, his way into his own land. So he left. He went back, went back to his house. We could say at chapter 18 of Exodus is an incredible chapter about delegation. So what I wanted to do is quickly as we end, I want to raise three questions. Why delegate? Why people don't delegate? And I'm going to give you just some principles concerning delegation. The first question is why delegate? And the answer is because you can't do everything and it gives others a part in the work. Let's think about the first one. You, you can't do everything. I think, yeah, there it is. You can't do everything. If you had every spiritual gift, then maybe you could do everything, but you don't. You only have one or two spiritual gifts, maybe three or four. Paul, you, know, you look at Paul, Paul had a lot of spiritual gifts. And he did a lot, but he didn't do everything. He needed everybody in the ministry. I mean, toward the end of his life, he said, tell John Mark to come. He's faithful in ministry. We need him. You're talented. You're unique. You're special, but you don't have all the gifts. And you cannot do everything. Delegation helps put others in charge so that they are capable, that they're capable of doing it, that they can help do the ministry. We want to be effective. We want to accomplish the dreams, the plans, the goals. We want to do that. Now, there, there's two words, effective and efficient. Efficient means doing, the, doing things right. Effective means doing the right things. I may be doing things right, but am I doing the right things? Listen, 
I promise you, I'm a pretty good sweeper. I can sweep. What if I spent all of Tuesday and all of Wednesday and all of Thursday and all of Friday sweeping and vacuuming the building? And then on Sunday, we came up and I said, y'all, I'm so sorry. I, I spent most of the time this week sweeping and I just didn't really study for John. But I really did a great job on sweeping. You would say, well, you were probably really efficient on sweeping, but you weren't really effective because you shouldn't have been sweeping, right? And so with the, you can't do everything. And so we, we, we've got to get the right people in the right places. Number two, it gets others involved. When you delegate, it gets others involved because you can do so much more and they get involved and they have strengths and gifts and talents and abilities. First Corinthians 12 says there's many members in one body. That's how it functions. Every one of you in this, every one of you should have ministries in this body that you're doing. And if you're not, you should say, I wonder why I'm not doing anything. Because you've got gifts, talents, and abilities, and we need you. Everyone has gifts, talents, and abilities. The old saying is the way to get something done is either do it yourself, get somebody else to do it, or forbid your kids to do it. That's either one of the three, and that'll happen. So why delegate? Well, you can't do it all. And it gets others involved. Now, here's the second question, and that is why people don't delegate. I know people that don't. And it's always the same answer. It's always the same answer. I got two of them right here. They think they can do the job better. And they don't realize the need. When people don't delegate, the first thing they say is, I can just do it a lot better. I don't want to give it to somebody else because I can do it a lot better. You know, that may be true. And it may be that if you train somebody, it's going to take time to train them. And even if you train them, they not, may not be as good as you are at that. But the truth is, that may not be something you ought to be doing. You may need to delegate this out. Because you can't do it all. Sometimes they don't realize there's a need. They They don't understand the importance of delegation. They don't understand that... I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this, and that's about it. They don't realize if you delegate this one, and this one, and this one, and these people begin to delegate, not only is this being done, but this is being done, 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 this is being done. All of that's being done where it used to be just this being done. Because you trained others to do stuff. And that's what it's all about. They don't recognize the need. John Maxwell always says, you know, you're one guy, and you can do it really good, but... But what if a hundred people were doing things instead of just one? I always use that example of evangelism because there are two, two philosophies of evangelism in a church. One philosophy, and there are a lot of churches that have this, is that they believe evangelism is Sunday morning. And so when they come together on a Sunday morning, they believe the pastor's role is to evangelize. And so they have the pastor giving an evangelistic message. And then usually at the end, uh, you know, know, altar calls and things because it's the pastor's role to evangelize. Well, he's only one person. See, our philosophy is different than that. We believe on Sunday when we gather, it's for worship and training. And evangelism as we scatter. And so instead of being me on Sunday morning doing evangelism, it's a thousand people scattered into the community doing evangelism. Instead of one person, it's a thousand people. The, the third thing is, let me give you some principles we can learn about delegation, okay? Number one, 
Delegation does not come naturally. Was Moses a great leader? Wasn't Moses a great leader? But he didn't even see it, did he? He didn't even see it. He overlooked the need to delegate. It is not natural. We think we can do whatever comes our way. We say, I can do the work of ten people. No, you can't. First of all, you need ten people to do the work of ten people. Right? Let ten people do it. Even if you could do the work of ten people, wouldn't it be better to have ten people serving than one? Number two, we must delegate for survival. You can't make it because you'll burn out. I had a friend that was at Countryside years ago, and he came to me and he said, I'd like to take this particular ministry. And I said, well, if you want to. And I said, now, it's a big, you're going to have to get you some help. Oh, yeah, I, I will. I mean, you, you know, there's like, you, you need to get three or four people to work with you. Oh, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. He never did. And I came to him because he was very frustrated. And I said, hey, what's going on? I said, you need to get some people to help you. Now, now I... I know how I want it done, and I'm going to be able to do it. And I said, well, first of all, you're really limited to only what you can do instead of what four or five people can do, and you're wearing yourself out. And you know what he did? Um, about two months after that, he said, I quit. I just It's just too much for me. I said, yes, yes, it is. Of course it is. I told you that from the very beginning. That happens. Delegation does not come naturally. We must Delegate for survival or we won't make it. And delegation, the third thing, helps others grow and be involved in ministry. Instead of it you and you doing something, it's you and ten people doing something. And those ten people get other people. And before you know it, it's 20 and 30 and 40 and 50. And it's people doing the ministry. That's how ministry works. We're able to help others learn how to do things. So what have we seen? We've seen Jethro told Moses that uh, if he does all the work, he's going to wear himself out. And the people, and Jethro says to delegate, choose the right people of integrity, train them, and then they will help Moses to do it. And Moses accepts it and implements it. So let me give you some applications quickly. Understand the key principle in ministry. It's delegation. It's delegation. A. Every believer has gifts, talents, and abilities. Every one of us in this room, if you, if you could, if I said to you, where are you serving in this local body? If you say this is your church, this is where you go, whether you're a member or not, if you go on a regular basis and say, that's my church, what if somebody got you and said, where are you using the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have? Where are you serving within the body? Now, if you've been here for a very short time, that's that's okay because it takes you a little while to look around, figure out where are my gifts, how can I plug in, what what openings do they have, those kind of things. But if you've been here for any length of time, the question may be, where are you serving? Every believer has gifts, talents, and abilities. A few are always willing to serve, and a lot are willing to let the few do it. Happens all the time. The goal of the church is to make disciples be Remember that one person cannot do ministry by themselves. It won't work. You may do a particular thing by yourself, but you can't do ministry by yourself. You've got to have other people. Believers are, are, should be on the front lines, not the sidelines. Now, here's C. Delegate. What ministries are you in? Where are you involved? Help others know. Help others grow. Help others be involved. Uh, Moody said this, I'm only one, I can't do everything, but I'll do what I can. And then we pass it on to others. And then the fourth thing to understand is it's not natural to delegate because you think you do your own thing. We think we can do it, we think we can do it better. 
I think you have to get to the point to say, I know that if I do this by myself and this one thing, I can do it really good. But this ministry is more than this one thing. And I cannot do all these other things that good. So what I need to do is find people who can do these other things and they will do them better in the long run. Instead of it one thing being done, it's many things being done. That's ministry. All believers using gifts, talents, and abilities serving together to fulfill the ministry. May we be faithful believers using our gifts, carry out the ministry that God has given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for this passage as we see delegation and ministry and life. And Lord, I just pray that every one of us in this room will find a place that would match our gifts, talents, abilities, and we'll plug in and we'll serve. And I pray that all the people who are involved in ministry, in fact, oversee ministry, will delegate and continue to add people and help people be involved in ministry. Our goal, Lord, would be that everyone connected with the church would serve and use their gifts, talent, ability in the ministry would uh, would, th- would thrive and flourish in that way. Lord, we, we don't want anybody to burn out because they're doing too much. We want to train and equip people to do ministry so the body of Christ can be built up. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.